Welcome to our Future Impact podcasts, hosted by Bristol Business School and Bristol Law School at UE Bristol. During the series, we aim to bring you cutting edge research and talk to academics and practitioners about the real issues and future opportunities for businesses today. We'd love to hear what you think of the series and for you to comment on what we discuss. You can do that through our social media channels or by emailing fbl.news at uwe.ac.uk. Welcome to today's podcast. I'm Rose Cooper Johnson. I work on the stakeholder engagement team at the Business School at UE Bristol. We're joined today by Jane and Damien. Damien is an academic here at UE Bristol and Jane works for the West of England Combined Authority. Jane and Damien actually joined us for a business breakfast earlier in the year where they spoke about green jobs and they're here again to talk about a similar topic. We're here to discuss green jobs and its intersection with big data. Jane, would you like to go ahead and introduce yourself, please? Yep. So I'm Jane Vivian. I'm one of the programme managers in the People and Skills team at the West of England Combined Authority. Great, thank you. And Damien? Yeah, hi, Rose. I'm Damien Wittard. I'm an Associate Professor of Policy and Practice here at UWE. And really, that's important because I come from a sort of pragmatic focus rather than a sort of a theoretical one. So it's about understanding data and how we can use that data to understand different things. At the moment, we're looking at green jobs. Great. Thank you so much. Going back to Jane, would you like to just talk a little bit about your background in terms of your involvement in this topic? My involvement in green jobs is um, obviously looking at the delivery of the skills that help to fill those green jobs. So that can be anything from entry level, which is kind of pre-GCSE, all the way through to higher level skills provision. And what we're doing is creating a pathway of green skills in the region to help businesses to find the skills that they need to both fill and grow those green jobs that they've got. Great, thank you. And Damien, would you be happy to answer the same question? What background do you come into this topic from? Yeah, so my background is quite diverse. I spent much of my career working in the public sector. Originally, I worked for the regional development agency, so very interested in regional economies and how they grow. And obviously, green jobs will be right at the heart of that for us. I then moved to the Office for National Statistics, worked on the sort of national accounts productivity work, worked on balance of payment, flows of uh, goods and services in and out of the country, and then well-being. So past sort of economic measurement, this sort of subjective measurement of sort of progress. So all of these things have sort of given me a wide interest in economics and how we can make improvements in people's lives. Hence how I ended up working in the area of green jobs. But my interest is primarily from data. I'm part of the Dragon Research Group Data Research Access Governance Network, and we use big data sets to understand different phenomena. One project we've recently been funded for, the Wage and Employment Dynamics Project, it was funded by Administrative Data Research UK, who are part of the Economic and Social Research Council. They've given us funding to match a number of different government data sets together. And we've got this, what we call a wage and employment data spine, and it's based on the annual survey for hours and earnings. So if you're a person with a national insurance number with the two digits at the same, 
you would be in that survey for your whole of your life. You'd never know. We would go to your employer and your employer would send information back on the hours and earnings that you get. There's not a lot of other information that comes back from them, but that's high quality information. So if we can bring in other data sources to understand characteristics about who you are, what you do, we can understand how different groups engage with the labour markets. And in this case, how different people engage with people engaging in green jobs. Thank you so much. And Jane, just to kind of give a bit of context to the listeners, how are green jobs defined in your area of work and why is this something that businesses should care about? So we've actually adopted a definition of a green job as a combined authority to help people understand what that means, Um, because obviously there's quite differing understandings of what a green job are. So I'll read it out to you and then I can talk a little bit about why businesses should be interested in this. So a green job is one that directly contributes to the reduction of emissions and can help to protect the environment, but also it will help create job functions and responsibilities, working practices and processes which contribute towards reducing emissions, lowering a business's carbon footprint and ultimately protecting the environment. So as you can see, it's quite a wide definition purposely because I think a lot of businesses currently think that it doesn't apply to them. And actually, we know that a lot of business practices need to move to a more green position so that all of the functions that businesses have can help contribute to reducing their carbon footprint. So a really good example of that is accountancy. We've now got a number of green accountants in the region. So they are actually looking not only at accountancy for businesses, but reducing a business's carbon footprint at the same time. So it's a really good example of where you wouldn't necessarily think of going into accountancy and that being a green job, but actually it's increasingly got green credentials linked to it. Why businesses should care? I think there's a number of reasons. Ultimately, we all have a responsibility to reducing carbon footprints and meeting net zero objectives. I know recently the government have kind of you know changed the target for that, but ultimately The target still remains and we need to make sure that as a country, we're protecting the environment and doing everything we can to reduce our carbon footprint. I think also from a business point of view, a number of procurement practices are now building in much stronger environmental credentials. So they're selecting businesses to ultimately deliver a service based on what they can bring in terms of carbon reduction. So from a business's point of view, it's likely going forward that you will benefit more if you've got a better carbon footprint and and environmental jobs within the organisation. Also, we know that a number of sort of the next generation, a number of young individuals are actually looking at their potential employers of the future based on their environmental credentials. And actually, this is now starting to outweigh other packages that a business can offer to an individual. So again, if you're going to attract the best talent into your business to make you thrive and grow and be the best you can be, you need to be thinking now about your environmental credentials and what that means in terms of attracting talent for the future. So yeah, they're the main reasons, but ultimately we've all got to do something to help the country to meet net zero and reduce its carbon footprint. Thanks so much, Jane. Would you also be willing to talk a bit about how Green Jobs plays into the work that you do at the West of England Combined Authority. Yeah, of course. 
So obviously we're working very closely with the Growth Hub, which are the main team offering business support, advice and guidance to businesses. And there is a eight stage greening your business support package that's available through the Growth Hub. Our part of that is ensuring that we're supplying businesses with the right skills, the right training that they can then either bring new recruits into the business that have got training that meets those green credentials or to upskill existing employees. So what we're looking at is how we can put in place provision that meets those growing needs, both now, but also planning for the future developments of what that's going to mean. And and increasingly, as I've said, there's the need to green curriculum across a number of training courses, because ultimately green elements need to come into every job function. That's great. Thank you so much. Going back to Damien, could I ask you to talk a little bit about what green jobs and the definition of green jobs plays in the research that you'll be undertaking and what you hope to discover through the research that you're doing? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think the sort of crux of any research in this area, definitions, there is no universally agreed definition of green jobs. You heard one from Jane there, and I think She's right in what she said. That's a broad definition and it allows businesses, individuals to see where they fit within that. And I think that's really helpful. There's a number of different organizations across the globe who've tried to sort of define this. The United Nations Systems of Environmental Accounts definition. This is a standard definition of which sort of countries are trying to work to. And I will read it out to you. It says areas of the economy engaged in producing goods and services for the environmental protection purposes, as well as those engaged in conserving and maintaining natural resources. As I said, it's internationally comparable. The problem with this is that there's only a few countries around the world who are sort of collecting data to this standard. And therefore, there's a lack of data. It needs sort of complex statistical production systems to do that. So a little bit of a disadvantage. Another organization, the International Labour Organization, they have a definition which is out there. Green jobs are decent jobs. And I think that's the the, the real sort of difference here is that they emphasize the quality of jobs uh, involved in green jobs. Green jobs are decent jobs that contribute to preserve or restore the environment, be they in traditional sectors such as manufacturing, construction, or in new and emerging green sectors such as renewable energy and energy efficiency. Again, though, it's sort of very sort of sector focused and maybe sort of a a narrow focus, but actually a broader focus than the ILO, but not quite as as we hear from our, our colleagues in the west of England. ONS have been taking this issue around definitions seriously over the last couple of years and have undertaken a really wide ranging consultation across the country. A number of different definitions were suggested. I believe the most popular was the one provided by the Green Task Force, and they wanted to talk about employment in an activity that directly contributes to or indirectly supports the achievement of the UK's net zero emissions target and in other environmental goals such as natural restoration and mitigation against climate risk. And this goes back to sort of Jane's point about meeting the UK's net zero emissions. However, in the end, uh, ONS didn't go for that definition. They went for one which is employment in an activity that contributes to protecting or restoring the environment, including those that mitigate or adapt to climate change. And I think the reason why they did that was 
by not including the UK's net zero emissions target within it, it makes it more internationally comparable. As you can see, there's lots of different definitions from different organisations, and each of these are useful in, in different contexts. And I think that's what we have to take from this as researchers, in that what are what's the questions that we're trying to answer? And if we're trying to answer a question around renewable energy, then we might want to take a much narrower focused definition around green jobs. Whereas if we want to take a more broader, inclusive definition, I think this indirect effects of green jobs is important. So as Jen gave you that example of the accountancy firm, there's lots of people who are doing stuff indirectly that impacts on green jobs and green employment. And indeed, as I've done my research and I've been engaging with a lot of people, some people tell me every job will be a green job. You don't need to measure it because they're all going to be green jobs. Well, um, I hope that is the case, but I do know as the stage that we're in now that in order for us to make sort of positive change, we need it to be based on the best evidence. If we can get the evidence around green jobs, we know what works, we know how to help people in green jobs grow, then hopefully we can get this transition into net zero sooner rather than later. That's great. Thanks so much, Damien. Can I just ask about the research that you'll be undertaking, if you can explain kind of what that is and what you're hoping to discover? So um, once we get over that thorny issue of definitions, we then need to think about the research questions. Um, and the way that I'm going to get over the thorny issue of definitions is by using multiple definitions and sensitivity testing a number of them. But what we're going to do is we're going to try to map out what the green economy and green jobs looks like across the country, depending on which definition that you use. We want to understand which sorts of individuals work in these type of jobs. Does it favour certain cohorts over other cohorts? If so, what can we do to encourage certain groups to enter these types of jobs and uh, enable businesses to make this sector more diverse? We want to think about what's the effect of working in green jobs initially or working in what we could call here brown jobs. Does that affect your transitions as you go through your working experience? We can track people over time with the data set that we've got so we can see whether there's a pay premium perhaps for working in green jobs or maybe there might even be a pay penalty. Maybe people work in green jobs because some of the payoff that they get is a feeling of well-being that they get from working in these jobs. We don't know that at the moment. So the data set that I've got, we are able, as I said, to track individuals over time. It's individual level data, so we can look at different cohorts. It's a de-identified data set, and it's available for academics and government analysts to uh, use in a secure environment with the Office for National Statistics. But when you get data at that low level with such large samples, we're thinking about sort of 150, 200,000 people per year, we can really understand the dynamics of the labour market. And in this case, we're really going to focus in on those that are working in green jobs and, and their experience compared to those that work in brown jobs. That's great. Thank you so much, Damien. Jane, I want to ask you about this data. And does this data play any role in the work that you do? Absolutely. So it really does help to drive and inform what we do going forward. So we need to understand and digest the data. And that really does help to drive in terms of what provision we put in place going forward. 
So along with the data that Damien's going to be collecting, we've got our own data and information that our policy team collects. And then we've also got other sources of data, such as the Local Skills Improvement Plan, which has been led by Business West. They've been engaging with a number of businesses over the last year to look at what the business need is around kind of green skills at post-16 technical education and onwards. As you can see, all of that data is brought together and really does help to inform the commissioning decisions that we make in terms of what skills provision is needed for the region. We take that data and then we basically build that into our commissioning approach. And a really good example of this recently was that the consultation responses to the local skills improvement plan showed that businesses don't always need accredited training that runs over a long period of time. What we heard loud and clear was sometimes it's short, sharp, modular, stackable training that helps upskill existing employees. So in our recent commissioning of the Mayoral Priority Skills Fund and UKSPF, we actually put out a specific call for modular training. And that happened because of the data and the intelligence and what that was telling us in terms of what is needed by businesses in the region. So that's a really good example of how data drives what we do. But also it helps us to understand what the opportunity is going forward and to communicate that opportunity to our businesses and also to the learners that we engage with. So whether that's through the careers hub, that end of the scale, all the way through to some individuals we work with through Futurebrite, for example. So they're individuals that are in work, but are often looking at a new opportunity, maybe want to change career, but not quite sure where the opportunities are for the region and what they might want to go into. So again, some of that intelligence and data helps us to give them confidence that those opportunities either are already in place or are coming. And it also finally helps to give confidence to our education providers, because often we're planning for something that isn't in the here and the now. It's something that we know we need to be catering for. And, you know, from a from a provider point of view, they've got their established provision and it's often difficult for them to justify why they should change or diversify. So that data can help really drive their confidence as well in terms of maybe changing some of the provision or adding to it or maybe adding to the curriculum that they're delivering. That's great. Thank you so much, Jane. Damien, I want to ask about your relationship with businesses and if there's any kind of role that businesses have to play in the research that you're doing. Yeah, for sure. Business have a big role to play in my research. And I think it's really important that they do as well. The challenge that we're trying to address is one of the greater challenges that we've got at the moment. The environment crisis is a huge challenge. If we're to address that, it needs to be based on the best evidence. And as you've heard, the lack of clarity in relation to sort of definitions means that research in this area maybe has been slower than it should be. And there is potentially a lack of evidence here. So in order for us to make the best interventions, it needs to be based on the best evidence. And that best evidence comes from individuals, communities and from businesses. The big data that I'm using is based on huge survey samples that go out to businesses every day and businesses are responding to that. 
my research isn't just about quantitative research. I see myself as a mixed methods researchers. So we have the quantitative research based on these big data, based on these big surveys, which allows us to get an understanding of the phenomena that we're doing. Remember, though, the data wasn't collected for the particular purpose, the research question that we're trying to address. So it can only sort of give us a sort of insight. We can only look at it from the data, really, from an occupation, that this is the sort of bottom-up approach, or an industry, a top-down approach. And we can make some assumptions whether we think jobs are green or not, but the data in itself wasn't collected with that purpose. That question wasn't directly asked, so therefore there's a lot of inferences. But it allows us to get an understanding of the broad baseline. If we really want to understand sort of mechanics, and Jane sort of talked about skills earlier, and from our consultation with business, as you alluded to at the the, the front of this podcast, Rose, uh, we met with businesses on a couple of occasions. We met at a business breakfast, and we also put on a workshop on green jobs. Ourselves, our partners at the West of England Combined Authority, working with the Office for National Statistics, uh, the Department for Energy Security and Net Zero, and DEFRA, we're all there. And really, it was a sort of a knowledge exchange event where we would tell them what the latest thinking was in terms of academia and policy. But what we wanted from that was the workshop element later, where businesses were telling us what the important questions were for them, what did they want answered, what were the gaps. And indeed, I think one of the things was about skills and what are the skills that are going to be needed in the future? Can we sort of look forward? Can we try to understand that? What are the jobs? What roles are going to be created? And the training, where are we? Where are they going to be able to get the training for these? So this alignment of supply and demand of skills was something that really came through quite clearly. So this mixed methods approach of using quantitative big data to give you an understanding of the sector in its whole and being able to understand the effects on different sort of cohorts, different subgroups is important. But then it's also important to really speak to businesses and understand the mechanics. So I suppose that's really what I would sort of say to businesses. When you get those surveys, please do keep filling them in. Give as accurate information as you can. That is useful for the quantitative analysis. But also on these opportunities, please do take time to to speak to us, the researchers in the qualitative uh, interviews, focus groups. And I know this is particularly difficult for smaller businesses because taking a couple of hours out of the time of a business with one or two people is much more different than maybe going to, to a larger business. But all the evidence shows is that it's small businesses, it's newer businesses. These voices are not captured as well within the surveys and not captured as well within the qualitative research. So I suppose that's my plea to my listeners. If you do have time and you are interested in this area, we will be conducting sort of qualitative interviews in six months' time. So please let yourself known to me, Damien Wittard. You can get my details from the UE address and hopefully we can capture your experience and produce the evidence needed to make better policy. That's great. Thank you so much, Damien. Jane. Also speaking to businesses, what are some of the practical steps that businesses can take now to engage with your area if they're interested in green jobs? So there's a number of different ways in which businesses can engage now and take up some of the support that's available to them. So firstly, we've just launched Skills Connect, and that is a 
portal, the website, as well as a service available to all individuals in the West of England, helping to basically simplify the skills system. So there's over 250 skills training programmes and support services already listed on the directory there, and that's going to be increasing. So a business could go into Skills Connect and understand what skills provisions available to them currently. But also we have a team of advisors, both within the combined authority, but also within our local authority delivery partners who can help to to signpost to some of that provision. So please engage with Skills Connect. You'll see that there's a green skills section. But if there's anything missing and you want to find out some further information, again, please drop the skills inbox and a message and we can help to provide some further information. You'll see on Skills Connect that there's a number of different training courses that we're procuring as a combined authority, including the boot camps, and a number of those are green. So again, you know, businesses, it's there for you to take up now. And, you know, something that all businesses can do is maybe to raise the awareness amongst all their employees about kind of green jobs and why that's important. So there's some really good training, such as the carbon literacy training, which is kind of raising that baseline understanding. And then from there, you can build on it with some more specific training from boot camps, et cetera, et cetera. Another way in which businesses can take up support today is to contact the Growth Hub. So there's a team of advisors there and on the Growth Hub website, you'll see that there's a green business support package already available. So again, those advisors can talk you through how to green your business and that includes carbon surveys that are free of charge. There's green business grants. There's a whole range of different things available to businesses. But again, the Growth Hub can help to identify which parts of those packages are most applicable to the business if they contact them. And linked to that, we've also got a good employment charter. So that's a network of businesses that are looking at how they can improve their employment. And within that, the sustainability. So again, there's a whole network of businesses there that businesses can tap into and understand a little bit more about what others are doing around this agenda. So again, I'd I'd really encourage businesses to, to reach out and engage with that. Thinking about the skills system and the the, the beginning of it, we have a number of ways in which businesses can engage through the Careers Hub with all 97 schools and colleges within the region. And we're just about to launch the second phase of the Green Futures Fund. And that's very much looking at how we green curriculum and upskill careers advisors within schools and colleges to understand what businesses need around the green agenda. That will be as successful as the amount of business engagement we have with it. So again, if businesses have capacity, we'd love to hear from you. You can speak to the team that's leading that project. And we've also got a opportunity through the teacher transitions element of that project for teachers to come out into industry and learn about why businesses are greening what they do. But also the business then will go into the classroom and talk to the students about why that's important. So, again, there's that opportunity that businesses can engage with. We've also got the Retrofit Step Up programme, Retrofit West, which is about kind of encouraging homeowners to take up retrofit practices. And there's a whole business support programme around that that's coming as well. So there's a whole plethora of ways in which businesses can take practical steps now, both through upskilling their own employees, but also engaging with other businesses to understand what the opportunity is. 
If they'd like to find out more, I can run through those details on an individual basis. So again, please reach out to me. It's Jane Vivian at the Combined Authority. Great. Thanks so much, Jane. To kind of wrap things up today, I wondered if you each share one takeaway that businesses can get out of what our discussion has been today. So Damien, do you want to just give your takeaway first? Yeah, thanks, Rose. Um, in terms of a takeaway, well, we know this is a huge challenge. The environmental crisis is the biggest one I think that we face as a society, but it does come with a number of opportunities. A lot of the sort of discussion in this area can leave us feeling sort of negative. I'd like sort of people to come away feeling positive. I think you've just heard from Jane a list of practical steps that they're doing to support in this area. And I think I'd like to say the same thing from the academic perspective. Lots of people are investing lots of time and effort to really try and understand this phenomena. From the Dragon, the big data sort of research group here, we're working with the Sustainable Economies Research Group within UWE really to try and understand the green economy, both nationally and locally. And we're using big data and we're using smaller qualitative approaches to do that. So I think also it's that we all need to come together. And I think the events that we've put on recently, we were involved policymakers, academics, our businesses together. Last week, I was at the UE event around sort of digital skills and green skills, met a number of companies who had been through that process and who had sort of volunteered to sort of help and be part of focus groups, interviews as we go forward. So I think that would be my sort of plea to the listeners. If you are engaged in this area and you have something to say and you want to have your voice heard, please do let yourself known and we will come and speak to you. And hopefully we will provide this evidence base, which will allow policy to really tackle these issues head on and make differences to people's lives. That's great. Thank you, Damien. Jane, what's a takeaway that you have from today? I think it's, as, as Damien's just said, it's a huge agenda and it's very easy to feel overwhelmed and almost to the point that you don't feel like you can make a difference. What I would say is every little change, every little step makes a difference. So if we can all change a little bit about what we do within our job roles and our job functions, that will make an impact. So don't feel overwhelmed. There's lots of support available. Just reach out and we can start somewhere. That's great. Thank you both so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to be part of a future impact podcast or would like to comment on anything we've discussed, please do email us at fbl.news at uwe.ac.uk or search Bristol Business School or Bristol Law School on Twitter.